0: the holiday season. And as you may have heard before, there are certain things that you are not supposed to talk about at holiday family gatherings. Namely, as the old adage goes, you should never talk about politics, religion, or money at the family dinner table. Now in Nebraska, you can maybe add a fourth item to that list. You should never talk about your love for Texas Longhorn football amongst Cornhusker family, but I suppose that's a very specific Nebraska taboo. The other three banned items are more general in nature and certainly transcend Nebraska culture. Nevertheless, despite the warnings against talking about religion, politics, and money, I'm just going to go ahead and let you know ahead of time that we are going to talk about two of the three prohibited items this morning. Now, it probably will not surprise you that we're going to talk about religion. After all, we are gathered together as a church this morning. And so if you had an expectation that we would gather here and not talk about God or not talk about our relationship with God, you're probably in the wrong place. But having said that, I'm guessing that this morning you did have an expectation we would talk about God, and thus you're not surprised we're talking about religion. But what might make you squirm in your seats a little bit more is the idea that we are going to talk about the topic of money. Now, I'm fully aware that many churches have developed a bad reputation, deservedly so, I would add, of always talking about money. And To be absolutely clear, we have zero, uh, zero and I say zero, desire to be one of those churches. If anything, we strive to be the opposite. We don't pass offering plates, we seldom have ever talked about the budget on Sunday mornings, and we do everything we can to avoid emotional manipulation as it relates to the topic of money. But having said that, we are going to talk about the topic this morning, and we're going to talk about it for one reason. And the reason is simply this. Our passage today, which is the next passage in the book of Philippians, talks about money and generosity and giving to others. And thus, because the passage talks about it, we're going to talk about it. If you've been here for a while, then you know that our pattern at this church is to take books of the Bible, in this case, the book of Philippians, and preach through it verse by verse. Now, on occasion, we may depart from that and have a brief topical series. I think at the beginning of 2022, we're going to talk about our vision for the church, gospel community mission. But by and large, that's what we do every single week. We open the Bible and we preach through sections of books of the Bible or just the whole book, in this case, the book of Philippians. Now, the reason why we do that is we believe that this book really is the Word of God. And if you're new with us this morning, you should know our philosophy is that as much as possible, we want the Word of God to set the agenda. And so if the next passage in the book we're preaching on talks about relationships in the family, we talk about relationships in the family. If it talks about unity, we talk about unity. If it talks about contentment, we talk about contentment. And if it talks about money, we just ignore it and pretend like it's not there. Now, I'm just kidding. Of course, we talk about money. We talk about what it says. As I've said before, preaching the Bible through, or preaching through the Bible verse by verse protects you from me, but it also protects me from you. It protects you from me, and I can't just get up here every Sunday and preach on my hobby horse. I have to preach what the text says. But it protects me from you, and that it keeps me from cherry-picking verses. I'm not preaching this passage this morning because I have some hidden agenda or some ax to grind. I'm preaching this passage simply because it's the next one in the book of Philippians. And this so happens that it's talking about money and generosity. Now, for those of you who are still a little concerned, okay, I get it, that's why we're doing it, but I'm still a little concerned we're talking about this. Here's the good news. I think the reason why we don't like talking about money at church or family gatherings is because we're afraid that either A, someone's going to ask us for money, or B, they're going to brag about how much money they have. And Paul doesn't do either one of those things in Philippians 4. Instead, what he does is he expresses his gratitude to the Philippians for their generosity, And then he puts their generosity in the context of their relationship with him and the context of their relationship with God. And in doing so, I would argue, what he's really doing here is giving us a theology of generosity. Now, to be clear, in Philippians 4, Paul doesn't have a four-point outline. He doesn't say, here's how to think about generosity from a biblical standpoint, point one, point two, point three, point four. He does not do that. What he does, though, is expresses gratitude to the Philippians for their generosity, and as he does so, he gives us insight into how we should think about generosity and connection to our relationship with others and connection to our relationship with God. And in that way, I do think he gives us a theology of generosity. Or to say another way, he helps us as Christians to think about the way we should be generous with our resources and specifically our financial resources. And I think as Paul talks about this topic, I think we'll find it helpful, even if it may not, may not be the topic that we expected. Listen, I know we're breaking some taboo barriers this morning. We're talking about two of the three things on the ban list. But hear me, if those barriers are broken in the word of God, then it seems to me it's okay for us to break those barriers too. So that said, Philippians 4:10 to 23, the last passage in the book of Philippians. If you want to stand out of reverence for the reading of God's word, or excuse me, 14 to 20, Philippians 4:14 4, to 23. We're going to finish the book of Philippians here. Philippians four fourteen twenty three. 23 The words will be on the screen. You can follow on that way. You can Listen, as I read, or you can look along in your own Bibles, but the Word of God says this, by the way, standing is just a simple way we can remind ourselves, this is the Word of God, and as such, it's due our reverence. The Word of God says this, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians yourselves, know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. It's the word of God. You may be seated. Now to be sure the word money is not used in Philippians 4, 14 to 23. Paul is not giving a discourse on financial stewardship, nor is he teaching the Philippians this is how you should use your money. But from the, beginning of the bas- from the beginning of the passage, it is clear Paul is referencing the Philippians' giving of their resources to help him financially. And in that way, you could say this is very much a passage about money, but more so, I would argue, it's a passage about generosity. It's about the generosity of the Philippians to Paul. But it's also a passage that reveals Paul's perspective on generosity. And specifically, his perspective on generosity as it relates to our relationship with other people and ultimately our relationship with God. And in that way, as I said earlier, Philippians 4 is giving us a theology of generosity. It's helping us understand why, as Christians, we should be generous with our resources. To that end, I think there are four reasons that actually Paul gives in this passage as to why we should be generous as followers of Christ. Now again, Paul is not giving a seminar on generosity here. None of the reasons that I'm about to list are explicitly stated in the passage. But I think all of them are clearly implied. And so as we make our way through the passage, I think, we'll clear, I think we'll clearly see why we as Christians should be generous people. So the question, again, that we're trying to ask this morning is simply then, why be generous? Four reasons. First, generosity is a way for us to demonstrate our love and care for others. Verses 14 to 16. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Now, one of the things that made Paul's relationship with the Philippians unique is the Philippians' generosity toward Paul. In fact, Paul seems to indicate here in verses 14 to 16 that there is no other church like the Philippians in terms of giving. They took care of Paul, and they made sure that in his imprisonment, he was taken care of. Now, interestingly enough, the Philippians were not known for being wealthy. In 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 to 5, when Paul describes the giving of the church in Macedonia, which is almost certainly a reference to the church at Philippi, he talks about how their abundance of joy plus their extreme poverty overwhelmed or overflowed into generosity, which is a really interesting equation, right? Their abundance of joy plus extreme poverty equal generosity, So in light of that, let's just be clear here. When we talk about generosity, we're not just talking about rich people helping poor people. What we're talking about is people, whether rich or poor, like giving of their resources to be a blessing to others. And specifically, what we're talking about here at the beginning of Philippians 4 verse 14 is Christians giving their resources to demonstrate their care and their love for other people. Again, listen to the language of verse 14. Listen to what Paul says. He says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Now, as the context of the rest of the passage makes clear, in verse 14, Paul is obviously talking about the gift that the Philippians had given to him through the hand of Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus had delivered the Philippians' gift, and Paul is giving thanks for this gift. But his way of expressing thanks is not necessarily what you would expect. I mean, think about it this way. If you graduate from high school and your grandma gives you some money, you might send her a thank you card that sounds something like this. Grandma, thank you for the generous gift. The money will come in very helpful next year when I buy books at college. But Paul doesn't say it like that. He doesn't say, Philippians, thank you for your money. It was helpful for me to buy food and clothes while I'm in prison. It's not what he says. Instead, what he says is, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And in that, he reminds us of something that we probably already know, but we often forget. One of the ways that we can demonstrate our love for others is through our generosity and sharing of our resources. Now, to be clear here, I'm not talking about the idea that we try to buy friends with our money. I'm not even talking about buying extravagant Christmas gifts or birthday gifts for our family members or something along those lines. What I'm talking about is this. I'm talking about Christian generosity. A generosity that is driven by a love for God and then sees a need, meets that need because we love God and because we love that person. And listen, if you've ever been on that end or if you've ever been on the receiving end of that type of gift, you know how meaningful it is when someone gives you something simply because they care about you. When Dawson first got sick, one of my old friends from high school sent us a random card in the mail with a fairly sizable check. I think it was about $500. Now, the thing about my high school friend is that we were actually closer friends in elementary school. We spent a lot of time together in our growing up years, but because he was a couple of years older than me, as time went on, we just kind of drifted apart. We never had a falling out, and I respected the guy. I always still do. But life's circumstances just took us in a different direction. On occasion, when I went home for the holidays, I was still seen, but we weren't regularly in contact. And that's why it was so surprising for me that he sent a card. I didn't even know he knew that our son was sick. But it was even more surprising that he would include such a generous gift. And it was actually emotional for me because I knew he wasn't giving out of some sense of obligation. That he felt like, well, everyone else is doing this. I should do it. Now, I, that wasn't the case at all because no one in my circle of friends besides him sent me a card like that. On top of that, he clearly wasn't expecting something in return. We didn't cross paths regularly. He was only sending this card. He and his wife were sending this card simply because... They cared. To use language of verse 14, my friend made a decision, I'm going to share in your troubles. And that's the thing. It wasn't the gift that made me emotional. The truth is God had provided for us every step of the way. We were okay financially. We didn't need the gift. It wasn't the money that mattered. What touched me is that my old friend cared. And I could tell you a hundred stories just like that. Whether it be fundraising for adoption, raising funds to go on staff with campus ministry, or just going through our family health stuff the last few years, it's amazing how many times God has used the generosity of others, including many in this body, to remind us that we are loved. And I don't just mean financial generosity, by the way. I mean generosity of resources. People serving us by making meals. A group of friends this Christmas putting up Christmas lights for us. They actually did it last year, too. Another group of friends raking our leaves when Tanya was in the hospital this fall. Time and again, we've been blessed by people's generosity as it's reminded us we're not alone in our troubles. And listen, this is one of the great values of being a generous person, as you can demonstrate that you care and that you love a person. For Paul, it was not about the financial gift. He makes this very clear. It wasn't that he cared about the money. What he cared about is that the Philippians cared about him, and they demonstrated their love by giving of their resources. So one of the reasons that we should be generous as Christians is because it enables us in a very practical way to show someone we care, we're with you. But listen, that's not the only reason we should be generous with our resources. There's a second reason that's hinted at in this passage. And that says, generosity now enables us to store up treasure later. Generosity now enables us to store up treasure later. Verse 17, Paul says this, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Now, it's pretty obvious that Paul feels sheepish talking about generosity and money in chapter 4. And listen, I get it. I feel sheepish talking about it too. But it's clear that Paul is sheepish also because verse 17 is the second time now in the span of less than 10 verses that Paul has mentioned, I didn't need the money. In other words, Paul is saying, I don't want you Philippians to get the impression I want money here. Because as Paul made clear last week in verses 11 to 13, and as he's emphasizing now again in verse 17, he doesn't need the money. What he really cares about is that the Philippians' hearts are in the right spot, that they're giving because they love him, but ultimately because they love God. That type of giving, which is driven by love for God. And by the way, I would differentiate here between biblical generosity and worldly generosity. Worldly generosity, people give to try to get something back. They give because they think, well, people will notice me or they'll like me more. Or maybe my name will get written somewhere. I'll be praised for my giving. That's worldly generosity. And there's plenty of worldly generosity. But biblical generosity is giving because we love God with no expectation of getting anything in return. It's giving because we believe that it's worthwhile to honor God and to love others. That type of giving will result in praise and glory and honor at the return of Jesus Christ. Now, worldly generosity does not result in the same praise and glory and honor. A generosity that's coming from a heart that loves God and genuinely cares about others will result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I think that's what Paul's getting at in verse 17. He's not excited about the Philippians' money. He's thankful for their generosity, but what gets him excited is not the money, but rather the fruit of generosity that will increase the Philippians' credit. Now that language of fruit increasing credit is really interesting language in verse 17. Paul is combining spiritual language, fruit, fruit. With business language, increased credit. Now, in the overall context of the New Testament, I think we can understand what he's saying. What he's saying is this type of generosity, a biblical generosity driven by a love for God and a love for others, will result in praise and glory and honor at the return of Jesus Christ. Or to say it another way, the fruit of genuine generosity is that we give up some of our earthly treasure now with the understanding that God is pleased and rewards our generosity later. Or to use the language of Matthew 6. Being generous with our earthly treasure is one of the ways that we can store up heavenly treasure. And in that way, we can say generosity now is a good investment and it comes due later. And I think that's the purpose of the business language of verse 17, that we invest now and the credit or interest comes due later on. I mean, think about it from a worldly standpoint. On December 12, 1980, Apple, the technology company, went public with their stock. If you invested $1,000 on December 12, 1980 in Apple, that money now would be worth $1.6 million. Now, obviously, anyone who would have seen that coming in 1980 would have invested $1,000. The point is, not many saw it coming. The truth is, $1,000 was a lot of money at the time. It's a lot of money now, but it was certainly a lot of money in 1980. And it would have been a huge risk to plunk down $1,000. But that's the way investments work. You risk now with the hope that it'll pay off in the long run. And in using the language he does in verse 17, Paul is making a point. Our generosity now may be a risk in some ways, but in the long run, it will pay off. It'll come due with interest, with credit. It'll be a credit to our account. It will result in praise and glory and honor the revelation of Jesus Christ. So listen, we can be honest in saying that being generous now does carry its risk with it. Right? What if we give and then the economy goes south? Or what if we give and then our business falls apart? Or what if we give and then we have a family emergency that sucks up all of our savings? And Paul's point in verse 17 is that generosity is not a risk because generosity that's motivated by Christian love is storing up a different type of treasure that cannot be touched by thieves, it cannot be touched by a bad economy, and it cannot be touched by the IRS. Being generous is worthwhile because it enables us to store up treasure later and an account that cannot be touched by others. Second reason to be generous. Reason number three. Generosity is honoring to God and demonstrates our trust in God. So here's something interesting to think about. About 800 times the Bible talks about money, wealth, possessions, and other related topics. Jesus talks about money more than any other topic than the kingdom of God. In fact, some scholars have estimated that roughly 25% of Jesus' teachings in the Gospels relate to money, resources, stewardship, or the like. Now my question for you is simply this, why is that? Clearly, the author of Scriptures, being inspired by the Holy Spirit did not get the memo about taboo topics. No one told them, hey, don't talk about money, that'll make people uncomfortable. So why is it that the Holy Spirit inspires the authors of Scripture to write about money so often? Well, I think the answer is that money is a great litmus test of our love for God and our trust in God. As Jesus says in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. As he goes on to say in chapter 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you serve God or you serve money. The way we spend our money, then I think we could say this, is ultimately a reflection of our relationship with God. I think that's seen in the language of verse 18. Verse 18. Verse 18, Paul says this, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Listen, the Philippians loved Paul, and they cared about Paul. That's why they wanted to share in his ministry. But ultimately, they loved God, and they wanted to see the good news of the gospel advance. And as such, their generosity was a fragrant offering to God, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to him. And if you hold on to your money for your own security, or if you spend your money solely on yourself, or if you're always trying to make money with your money, in other words, you're just thinking, how can I accumulate more? Then that reveals something about your heart. Namely, that money and love of self is a master. But when we give to others, and we seek to advance the kingdom, and we do so because we love God, it demonstrates something about how we want to honor God. And it also demonstrates something about how we trust Him. And when you see the connection here between verses 18 and 19... Verse 18 again, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. As Paul is strongly implying here in verse 19, we can give generously and thus offer a sacrifice that's acceptable to God because we trust that God will provide for our every needs. Conversely, One of the reasons we often fail to be generous is because deep down we don't really believe God will provide for us and take care of us. When we were in the middle of adopting our daughter, both Tony and I read several books about adoption, and there was a story in one of them that I won't ever forget. One of the authors and his wife had adopted a couple boys from Russia, and when they brought home the boys, the boys would often hide their food in their high chair or other places around the house. And the reason they did this is because in the orphanage, they did not know where their next meal might come from. And so they stored up food around the house just because they weren't sure. And so even though the boys were out of the orphanage, they were still living with an orphanage mindset. It wasn't until a really long time later that these two adopted sons stopped hiding food around the house. And they only stopped when they came to the realization they could trust that their parents would provide for the next meal. In the same way, I wonder if perhaps the reason we fail to be generous to God and to others is because deep down we're not really sure that God is going to provide. We store our food in the high chair. Listen, I'm going to be honest here. Financially speaking, the hardest part of the last few years for us as it relates to our medical trials has not been money itself. In fact, God has been more than generous to supply for us. There's never been a time where I've been worried about paying bills. So the money itself has not been the challenge. What has been the challenge, though, is the fear. The fear that something could be coming that would sap all of our money. What if insurance doesn't cover this? What if we have to go to a hospital out of network? What if this medicine never gets approved? And listen, I'm not saying those fears are unrealistic, but what I am saying is this, when I allow those fears to get the best of me and to start to choke off my generosity, I'm not trusting in the provision of God. Essentially, I'm hiding food in my high chair. But listen, we can be confident. God will provide for every need. Now let me specify something. He doesn't necessarily provide for our every want. He does provide, however, for our every need. One of the reasons we can be confident God will provide for our every need is because he sent his son to die for us. In fact, this is hinted at at the end of verse 19. Listen again to the way verse 19 ends. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, there's something profound about Paul saying, number one, my God. In other words, this is a God I have a personal relationship with. Then also alluding to the riches of glory in Christ Jesus. And using that language, Paul is not so subtly reminding us, if God sent his son, then he will take care of us. He will take care of us. You don't have to be a miser. You don't have to store your food in your high chair. You don't need to bury gold in the backyard. You can trust that God will take care of you. You can trust that he will provide And you can trust that he'll provide because he sent his son to die for you. If he did not spare his own son, how will he not also graciously give us everything else we need? And that's not to say there's not a place for saving. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying, though, is there should be a mindset here where we're generous and we don't hold off on being generous because we're afraid God won't provide. We're generous because it honors him and we trust his character to take care of us. But we should also be generous for one more reason. And it's a reason that's kind of implied in the book of Philippians as a whole. And that fourth reason is this. As followers of Christ, we're generous with others because God has been generous to us. The death of Christ on the cross doesn't just give, give us confidence that God will provide for every need, although it does, but it also gives us reason and motivation to want to reflect his character to the world around us. And that's where we kind of come full circle here in the book of Philippians. The book opens with Paul talking about the grace of, that we've received in Jesus Christ. And it closes in chapter 4, verse 23, with mention again of the grace that we have in Jesus Christ. And in between, everywhere in this book, the grace of God that is found in Jesus Christ is the motivating factor and the thing that we are to fix our eyes on most. Jesus is the means by which we're saved. The grace of God is the reason why we are rescued. It's also the reason why we live differently. As Paul challenges us back in chapter 2, we ought to live to serve others because Jesus lived to serve us. We want to reflect his character. And that means that we'll also want to be generous. Listen, hear this. Every person in this room, without exception, is a sinner. By nature, we are children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Apart from Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And yet, get this while we were still sinners if you are in christ christ died for us and if we turn to him in saving faith not only are our sins forgiven but his righteousness is credited to our account that's not just kind of generous that is radical generosity as if you're going through the drive-through to fast food restaurant and the car in front of you pays for your meal that's generous if you're going through the drive-through to fast food restaurant and the car in front of you gives you their house their car and a million dollar bank account that's crazy Right? That's crazy generosity. And yet the generosity of Christ is much more like the latter than it is like the former. In fact, it, In fact, it even exceeds that type of generosity. Think about this. Jesus took on flesh. He became a helpless babe. He entered into the brokenness of this world. He lived the perfect life we could not live. He took the eternal wrath of God on our behalf. And if we trust in him, we can have forgiveness of sins, peace with God, eternal life, and the perfect righteousness of Jesus credited to our account. That's not just kind of nice. Oh, thank you. That's nice, Jesus. No, that's not just kind of generous either, is it? That is radical generosity. Generosity that should make us bow in humility. Why would he do it for us? Generosity that should make us lift our voices in worship. Thank you, God. But also generosity that should motivate us to want to treat others as God has treated us. Listen, if God created us, he did, by the way. If Jesus laid down his life on our behalf, he did. How could we simply hold on to our resources as if they're our own? How could we not be generous towards others? As Christians, our goal is to reflect the great character of our great God. Jesus did not live for himself. He did not hoard money, nor did he lavishly spend on his own wants. Instead, he took on flesh, laid down his life, bore the wrath of God on our behalf. He gave up everything so we could be something. He was and is radically generous. In light of how he's treated us, we should be the same way to others. And let me be clear in saying this. Generosity has nothing to do with the amount of money that you give. It has everything to do with the amount that your heart loves God. It has everything to do with your heart and nothing to give with the amount. In fact, think about this. Outside of God's own generosity, the greatest example of generosity we have in all the scriptures is of a widow who put in two small coins. So what you hear me saying this morning is, give more money, then either I have not done a good job preaching or you've not done a good job listening. Because generosity is nothing to do with the amount that you give and everything to do with your heart. We are generous because we love other people and care for them. We are generous because we see the big picture of eternity and we know heaven is coming. We're generous because we trust God and we love him and we want to honor him. And we're generous because God has been so generous to us. And maybe in that way, it's entirely appropriate that in God's providence, we landed on this passage on the Sunday before Christmas. Because generosity starts by understanding that Jesus took on flesh and a radical act of generosity toward us. And so listen, I understand that money is one of those topics that's off limits. But Philippians 4 is not really about money, is it? It's about generosity that stems from a heart that's been changed by the generosity of Jesus. So church... Let me remind you this morning simply of what Jesus has done. He took on flesh so you could live. He went to the cross so that you wouldn't have to pay the penalty for your sin. He adopted us into his family so that you could be heirs. He was radically generous, and the Christmas story actually reminds us of that reality. So this Christmas, let's not just be generous gift givers. More than that, let's be generous people. And not just in theory, by the way, but in reality. It's one thing to know we should be generous. It's another to actually do it, isn't it? I know that I should eat less sugar. And I know I should be on my phone less. And I know I should floss my teeth. But there is a difference between knowing something and actually doing it. So church, let's not just people who know, oh, we should be generous. But let's be people, because we trust God and because we love him, who actually live generous lives. Let's be followers of Christ who use our resources to bless and meet the needs of others. And let's do so because we love God and we trust him and because we want others to know about his generosity too. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for a passage that maybe we wouldn't have picked the Sunday before Christmas and perhaps it's the passage that we needed. In fact, I suspect because of the way you work, it's exactly the passage we needed this morning because you knew This is what we needed right now. In your providence, you laid out that in the book of Philippians, this is where we'd be. And so I pray that we would be generous people. But I pray that we would be generous people, not for the sake of being generous, but because we love you and we've seen your generosity towards us. Help us, Lord, to be the type of people who reflect your character to the world around us, including your generosity. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.